thank you for being with us this morning. It is a delight, and we're in our series of messages, Curious, God's Answers to Your Curious Questions. And we've been kind of over the, all over the map so far in, in some respects. We've talked about what gives us the foundation for God's answers. Well, that's Scripture. We've talked about uh, healthy relationships. We've talked about, next week we're going to talk about wise choices. We, we've talked about some really, really good things, how to please God. Well, today... We're going to talk about how would Jesus vote. And you know, I, I know, <laughs> uh, you know, let me, let me just, I'm just going to kind of clear the air, okay? You know, there, there are a lot of voices out there, and I'm going to be the first to admit, there's a lot of voices. There are people pulling you from the left, there's people pulling you from the right, there's people pulling you from the middle, there's people saying, be involved, don't be involved, it's all, it's everywhere, it's everywhere, and I get it. Our elections in America have become very, very polarizing, and they've become very contentious. I don't think any of us would be um, unaware of that. There, it's just, it's all over the place. So, uh, one of the things that I want to be ab make, make absolutely clear this morning, I'm not going to tell you how to vote, okay? So just, not going to do that. I'm not going to even go in that conversation with you even privately. Not going to go there. However, however, you ready? Uh, my hope is today to offend everybody. Now, I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but that's just kind of the nature of this thing. So I'm going to leave this with you. As we begin today, I want you to look at that second phrase that's on the screen. Are we willing, are we willing to put our faith filter ahead of our political filter. That, to me, is the critical question for every one of us to wrestle with this morning. Are we willing to put our faith filter ahead of our political filter? So if you, if you just think about that for a moment, so let's say this is, this is politics, and we take everything else and we go through that, and whatever comes out on the end of that is what we embrace. Uh, no. As Christ followers, it has to be the opposite. Our faith filter is here, and everything that we are goes through that faith filter. That is what drives our decision-making process. And if we'll do this, if we'll do this, regardless of our affiliations, and regardless of our outcomes, and the outcomes, regardless of our affiliations, and regardless of the outcomes of any election, I believe what will happen is we will represent Jesus well. And when it comes down to it, that's what this is about, is representing Jesus well. Andy Stanley, who pastors North, North Point uh, in Atlanta, did some wonderful teaching on this entire subject. And I draw this little phrase that, that Andy spoke. And just listen carefully. He says, both political parties, it's really critical to hear, both political parties use Jesus to make their points. Because their political filter is ahead of their Jesus filter. Okay, because their political filter is ahead of their Jesus filter. Are we willing to evaluate our politics through the filter of our faith rather than create a version of our faith that supports our politics? Now, you, you, got it, you have to catch this. This has to be something that you, you, you latch onto. One more time. Are we willing to evaluate our politics through the filter of our faith rather than create a version of our faith that supports our politics? And each party can do just that. When we filter, 
When we filter Jesus through our politics, here's what we discover. He's so red, he's so blue, it's amazing how often he agrees with you. Right? That's what happens when we have that flipped. But I'm going to add another one to this, another little poem, as it were. Ready? However, when we filter our politics through Jesus, he's neither red nor blue, but he must be in control of all that we do. Jesus is not red or blue, but we have an obligation to allow him to control our lives. We, every one of us who call Jesus Christ Savior and Lord, have already made that determination. We said, when we said, Jesus, you're Lord, what are we saying? You have charge of my life. And that's something we have to wrestle out. So the text this morning is just one very short verse, a verse that you'll remember or recognize. It's from Matthew 6, 33, and there are a lot of different versions. Seek the first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you as well. Listen to how the contemporary English version writes it. Look at it. But more than anything else, more than anything else, put God's work first and do what he wants. That is the bottom line when it comes to wrestling out this particular, this particular topic of how would Jesus vote. Jesus, the kingdom of God, must be the priority of our life. Not anything else. And again, I'm going to go back to it. If you committed your life to Christ, you've already made that declaration. Then that has to become the filter by which everything else filters through. It's our faith filter. As I was studying and prepping for this week, I came across this phrase, and I don't believe this one's in your notes, and which it doesn't need to be. It's just... I want you to listen to it. Someone said it this way. It says, Jesus would vote for none of the candidates in the 2020 election. He would not vote at all. Now, someone asked that question. When, in fact, when I was gathering all of the, um, the topics for this series, that's what somebody said. Somebody put on the, the list and said, I don't think Jesus would even be involved. I don't think he'd vote. Now, I don't, I don't, we can't prove that one way or the other, that he would be involved or not be involved. That's not as much the point, but rather, it's something that I think leads us to where we need to spend a few moments. Our faith, our faith and scripture, or our faith rather, and government have been, there's an interface here that's been taking place literally from time immemorial. And we need to wrestle that out. We need to take a look at it. When we talk about government, as we see in scripture, we're not talking about Western-style democracies. Voting came around in ancient Sparta about 750 B.C. and then really became how things were decided in the, in the 18th century. So you have to understand 17th century, excuse me. So this is not what Scripture talks about because when you look at Scripture and government, what do you see? You see city-states. You see kings, emperors. You see totalitarian rule. Voting was not something that was uh, a natural part of what we read in Scripture. But Scripture does talk about the interface of faith 
and government. So I'm going to move very quickly through this. So do your best to stay with me. I'm going to read the scriptures a little faster because this is basically one-third of my content that I've got to get through. Now, I'm not going to do a lot of comment, but it's just a lot of content. So stay with me, okay? First, Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 in the Old Testament. Then the Lord told him, Moses, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt, and I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. Real quick, Israel, the Hebrews, where are they? They're in slavery under the bondage of Egypt. God sees that. He delivers from that, delivers them from that and creates a new nation. For Samuel chapter 8. Finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like the other nations have. Israel and Judah, both as united and a divided kingdom, lasted about 500 years. So they moved from slavery into a kingdom. Proverbs 21. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it whichever way he wishes. Solomon makes it abundantly clear that God, that God is the one that directs the affairs of those in authority. Jeremiah 29 and verse 7. The kingdom has been divided. They've been pulled into exile. Here's what Jeremiah said to the people. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because as it prospers, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Do you see what happens from a godly nation into an ungodly captivity? But Jeremiah says you have a responsibility even in the midst of the ungodly leadership to pray for his prosperity because when it prospers, you prosper. Daniel 2 and verse 20 and 21. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons, deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and, under, and knowledge to the discerning. You see, Daniel served Babylonian and Persian kings with distinction. We learn that ultimately God is in charge of those who are in authority. That's the Old Testament, New Testament. Matthew 22, then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words, Jesus. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him. A denarius, and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. Do you notice in the midst of that, there was a trap? Yes, Jesus' answer was brilliant. He said, what do you have to do? He's saying there's a responsibility that we have as citizens of Rome. Romans 13, another long passage, verse number 1. Everyone must submit to the governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authorities is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. 
They are God's servants, sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes too. For these same reasons, the government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes, your government fees to those who collect them, and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. It's pretty, pretty clear, isn't it? Peter says something very similar. First Peter chapter 2, For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king or the head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone, love the family believers, fear God, and respect the king. Now, when you take a look at all of that, and there's, there's more, that's just a sample. Do you see that faith and government can interface? But when we keep the Jesus filter in place and we filter everything through this, we understand we have some responsibilities as the people of God to be engaged in the process. But we are to be engaged in the process in such a way that brings honor to Jesus. So I would just say, we need to be engaged in the process. Participation in the process allows for conversation in the outcome. One more time, participation in the process allows for conversation in the outcome. And I think it is absolutely critical. That's why I want to encourage you, you need to vote. We have, we have the privilege of voting our convictions through the filter of our faith. Be involved in the process will then allow for a conversation in the outcome. But again, how do we vote as Christ followers? How do we do this? What, how do we, you know, I get this Jesus filter thing. I mean, it makes sense. I get it. But how do we do this? Well, I learned something this, this past few weeks. I've never heard this phrase before. You may have heard this phrase, Miles Law. Miles Law. Miles, the guy that this phrase is taken from, was a part of the Truman administration, 1940s uh, after World War II to 1952, prior to the election of Dwight Eisenhower. He was a minor bureaucrat in the budgeting process, and he crafted or coined this phrase, Miles Law. Here's Miles Law. Ready? Here it is. Where you stand depends on where you sit. There's the phrase. Where you stand Depends on where you sit. So what, it, what all does that mean? So regarding the shaping of our political views, you could unpack it like this. Our political views, collectively, are shaped by where we live, how we were raised, where we were educated, if we were educated, what we've been told, what we've seen, and what we've experienced. Our views are shaped by those eight things. Okay? So... Here's how, here's how it fleshes out. Our cultural context, all of those things, is where you sit. So, and then where you sit then determines where you stand. The things that you stand for. So once again, where you stand depends on where you sit. And so I would add this. Every single decision, and this comes from, you may know this name, Charlie Kirk, and I love this phrase. Charlie said, every single decision you make must reflect your worldview. Every single decision you make must reflect your worldview. 
We're already establishing the fact that as a follower of Jesus Christ, we have a Jesus filter. So is your worldview, is my worldview consistent with the worldview that Jesus would promote? What is our worldview? As Christ followers, as Christ followers, the gospel of Jesus Christ should be the North Star that guides me, not the political party line. One more time. As Christ followers, the gospel should be the North Star that guides me, not the political party line. That really is my cultural context. I look at this where I, once again, where I stand depends on where I sit. I look at all of those things and how my political views were shaped. It's absolutely true. <clears throat> but when everything is synthesized, when everything is brought down to the, to the irreducible minimums, as it were, you know what's left? Right here is the gospel. It's the gospel. That's what guides me. That, that produces my perspective. It's the gospel. It's the North Star. I don't know much about navigation, ancient navigation, but they take the sextant. They get it on the North Star. They would know a true north, so they knew which way to go. The gospel is that for you and for me. So with all of this as a backdrop, I want to give you five questions that I trust will help us and inform our voting. But before we do that, pray with me. Jesus help in your name. Amen. Okay. Here we go. Number one. Question number one. First, will how I vote represent Christ more than a particular candidate? Will how I vote represent Christ more than a particular candidate? As it relates to representing Jesus, I really do believe that as a follower of Christ, we desire that we, our vote would honor God and honor him. I really do believe that. And I want that to be absolutely present in our life. So I might suggest that we need to stay focused. We need to stay focused on what's important to Jesus. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree with that? If truly, if truly the kingdom of God is first, then what do, I, what do I need to do? I need to stay focused on the things that are important to Jesus. So what's important to Jesus? Here we go. The first thing that's important to Jesus is to love God and love people. Love God, love people. There it is. Mark chapter 12. Of all the commandments, which is the most important, Jesus replied, the most important command is, listen, O Israel, the Lord God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. John 13. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should, know, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. There is nothing more important than to love God and to love people. Nothing. That's what Jesus was, was focused on, was loving God and loving people. And you see that even in a politically contentious environment, we have an obligation to love each other. See, but they're on that side of the aisle. Do you love them? We should. 
There's no option in the matter. And what happens when we do? It proves to those who don't know Jesus that we belong to Jesus. Why would I want to live my life in such a way as a follower of Christ that would push people away from Jesus? By my political views, by the rhetoric that I would spout? No. I want to draw people to Jesus by how I live and what I say. The second thing that's important to him is to live in unity. To live in unity. John 17, Jesus prays an incredible prayer. And in verses 20 and 21, Listen to what Jesus prays. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And and may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. Unity is critical in the family of God, in the body of Christ. Political matters should never divide us, amen, ever. And I was challenged with that verse, and this is the challenge that came to me. When's the last time, especially in this environment, that we have prayed for unity in the body of Christ? just as Jesus prayed. You see, unity is critical. Why would we as followers, why would we as followers of an eternal king allow ourselves to be divided by temporary political systems, leaders, and platforms? Why would we allow ourselves to be divided by lesser kings? Think about it. The second question is this. How Will will how I vote focus more on character or charisma? Now, this is is everywhere. I'm telling you, it's everywhere. You know a charismatic leader when you see one. You just know it. They they just have a confidence about themselves. And I mean, it can go a lot of different ways, but they're just something about charismatic leaders. And they immediately draw people to themselves because of their charisma. But character, character is absolutely critical when it comes to voting and making the decisions that will affect the future of our nations, our cities, our states. Godly character is, this is a real simplistic definition. Godly character can be defined as consistently doing the right thing at the right time in the right way for the right reason. There it is. Just put a lot of rights and you're, you're pretty good. Okay. Applying this standard to our political candidates is difficult, Right? It's just, it's hard. And let's just be honest, it's hard. Really challenging. Honesty and integrity, a level of self-control and moral convictions and actions that illustrate, that illustrate belief. Character is critical. And character has to outweigh charisma. There's no question. Proverbs 14, doing what is right makes a nation great. But sin will bring disgrace to any people, Romans 5, 4. Patience produces character, and character produces hope. You see, when we have people of of character, what happens? There's hope that's created within us. And I think we could all use a little bit of that right now. Amen? I read this the other day. You know, you guys are just getting it for the first time, okay? 
I've been getting this for like weeks now, all right? So listen to this one. You're going to love this, all right? You, everybody still love me? If you do, wave at me. All right, thank, oh, thank goodness. I feel better now. Okay, look at this. Some would say, <laughs> some would say that a vote for the lesser of two evils is still a vote for evil. Well, of course. Now, here you go. But unless the candidate is Jesus Christ, you will always be voting for the lesser of two evils. Come on. You will always be voting for the lesser of two evils. Listen to this. No candidate will do these things perfectly, but some candidates will definitely do things, do such things better than others. You, so you see the dilemma, how difficult it is. So the third question is, will how I vote be an informed vote or one that's emotional? Okay, so my first, my first presidential, my first election that I was participating in, I, don't, I didn't do a good job. It was just, I was not an informed voter. I just tell I wasn't. I'm not proud of that, but that's just the truth. I was not an informed voter. And because of that, my vote was reflected in my lack of information. You know something, we don't have any excuse to be lacking information. There's a ton of information out there. Now, I also realize that there's this stuff called, that people are calling fake news. I get all of that. I get disinformation. I get all of that stuff. But you know something? You can and I can do a little bit of research and we can find out kind of the bottom lines of things if we're willing. Or we can just follow the crowd. Well, that seems good. I would say that's emotion. Oh, you know, I'm excited about it. Well, I'm going to do that without ever looking below the scenes. Well, you see, as a Christ follower, there are issues that, must, that we must consider, hear me, there are issues that we must consider to remain consistent to our worldview and guided by the North Star of the gospel. Now, I'm going to say some things at this point you may not like. I'm okay with that. But I, I'm going to give you five things that I believe have to be a part of that information process. Number one, the sanctity of life. I'm going to say it again, the sanctity of life. Just, just in the matter of abortion, since 1973, more than 60 million babies created in the image of Almighty God have been murdered in our nation. That is a blight upon our country. That's just abortion. The sanctity of life goes deep. The second, well, Genesis 1.27, I, here's a phrase, I picked this up years ago. The sanctity of life, God, God believes in life from the womb to the tomb. Everywhere in between. Genesis 1, God created every human being in his own image. In his own image. Incredible. Second is the sanctity of the family. God is the one who designed the family. Marriage has been redefined. Redefined. It's not God's definition anymore, but marriage is between a man and a woman for life. That is the definition. And everything from family begins there. The sanctity of the family. 
Third issue, religious freedom. That is one of the basic rights of our Constitution. And frankly, we have been challenged with that over these last six months, have we not? We've been challenged. Paul said it this way, and it's one of my favorite verses that he ever, that he ever penned. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. We need to stand up for religious freedom. And I'm going to say this too. We need to stand up for religious freedom here in America, but we need to stand up for religious freedom around this world. We need to be the leader around the world in human rights, in life, in the sanctity of life, in the sanctity of marriage, and in the promotion of religious freedom. Number four, justice. Justice. Proverbs 13, 31, excuse me, 31, 8. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute, speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. That is justice. We are to be just, a just people. And we are to be a just people with righteousness as its foundation. And number five, to care for the poor and the less fortunate. Proverbs 19, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. We have to be a compassionate people. In reference to our text this morning from Matthew 6, Seek First the Kingdom of God, I found a quote from a, a gal by the name of Sarah Althaus. And, and it's, she said something really profound. Listen to what she said. As I seek the kingdom of God first, I will also seek to the vote. I will also seek to vote. Now hear this carefully. I will seek to vote for the candidate that best aligns to my morals and values while also knowing that my hope is in Christ and not whoever is elected. That's really important, friends. Are, are we going to find Jesus on the ballot? No. But we have, that's where we've got to get informed. And number four, number four, how, will, will I vote, will how I vote be anchored in faith or prompted by fear? Anchored in faith or prompted by fear. The coronavirus has wreaked havoc on our nation and the world. Uh, and one of the things that I have been so deeply troubled in my spirit is, is the reaction of fear. People have been paralyzed with fear. Now, I want, I want to be perfectly clear this morning, as best I can be, I respect any virus, any illness. I do not take crazy chances. I don't do silly things. I do the things that I'm asked to do as, as we have been asked. I'm not taking risks. That's not the point. I'm not throwing, well, you know, I'm just throwing caution to the wind. No, not ever, whatsoever. But I will not be paralyzed by fear. I will not. It's not going to happen. Why? Because my faith is stronger than my fear. Because my faith is anchored in one who doesn't change. So whether I live or whether I don't live, I belong to Jesus. We need to live that way. And I think our vote needs to follow that. We need to be, 
not fearful. And you say, well, why fear, Gary, when, you, when you're talking about voting? Because there's nothing that raises money more for political parties than fear. Come on. You're going to lose this. That's going to happen. We're going to be there. That's going to happen. This is going to happen. I mean, just come on. They, unfortunately, there is just an epidemic of fear peddling to raise dollars. Can we just be honest? Nothing raises money like fear. Fear should never be the driving force. Remember, I read this earlier, but I'm going to read it again a little slower this time. <laughs> Daniel 2. Look at it with me. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. I could just stop there and we could have a little bit of fun, okay? Wisdom and power are His. Oh, you should have said amen right there. I even gave you a prompt. Wisdom and power are His. You ready? He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. The leaders that will be elected will be placed there by God. Make no mistake. You say, well, then what's the point of me being involved? Because it gives you an opportunity to have a conversation. And always point people back to the hope that we have in Jesus when the church of Jesus Christ is living in unity, when the church of Jesus Christ loves each other, regardless of the outcome of an election, it proves to the world that we belong to another kingdom. We are part of this kingdom, but we belong to one in heaven. And it points people to Jesus. We are not to fear, but to have faith. Hear, hear this carefully, please. We are not to fear but to have faith that God is the ultimate and final judge of all things in the midst of everything we may or may not face in the coming years. Please know, God is in control. Don't forget it. The fifth question. Will how I vote be preceded by prayer and the outcome followed up? with prayer. I hope that I want that to sink in a minute. You get it? You got it? We're praying diligently. Now, praying, praying, praying. We're praying. Whatever side of the aisle we're praying on, we're praying. But will we pray when the outcome is before us? But we continue. You see, no matter who wins, Scripture doesn't allow us the freedom of choosing to pray only for the pol political party with whom we agree. Yeah, I, I hope you heard that. <laughs> Scripture doesn't get, well, you know, if this happens, then you can pray. If this happens, then you don't have to. You're okay. No, no, no. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will... Here from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Jeremiah 29, 17, we just read it. You pray. You pray for the place you've been taken into exile. You pray that it prospers. There's no option. Second Timothy, or 1 Timothy 2, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving be made for all people, for 
kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Can I just remind everybody who's watching online, everybody in the room this morning, that Paul was saying that under the iron grip of the Roman Empire. And he said, you pray for everyone in authority, including the emperor. What? Yeah. Yeah. We need to pray now, but we need to pray after the election as diligently. Are we willing, one more time, are we willing to put our faith filter ahead of our political filter? When we do, we will pray for the red or the blue. Okay? So as we close this morning, some questions that I just kind of throw out there rhetorically. <laughs> did I go far enough? Yeah, probably not. Did I go too far for some? Yeah, I probably did. Am I somewhere in the middle? Yeah, maybe. Who knows what the answers are? But as we close, I want to just leave you with this paragraph. I, I, can't, I couldn't find who wrote it, but I want you to listen to it carefully. As we move towards a presidential election, I know this. Whether Biden or Trump, a Democrat or a Republican, is elected will not change one iota of my position. I will not cry over an election that doesn't favor my candidate because my hope is not in any person or policy for that matter. My hope is anchored in the truth and the reality that whoever is in the White House, God is still on the throne. I will do my best to vote for the party that most closely represents my worldview. So bring it all on. I relish the opportunity to continue to stand boldly for the only platform that ultimately matters, the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Every other platform is shifting sand. Hallelujah. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word this morning. We declare, well, let me say it this way. I'm grateful for our nation. I'm grateful for the privilege we have to vote. Thank you. But Lord, I also realize that we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And until that kingdom comes to fruition in full measure, we will pray for our leaders. We will be the best citizens of America that we can be. But we will be guided by the North Star of the gospel. We'll allow our, our views to be filtered through faith. We'll be informed. And we'll align as closely as we can the candidate that best represents you and the values that you put in us. Thank you. So Lord, we commit to you participation in the process. And I pray as well that each of us would pray as we've never prayed before, both now and post-election day. Because our nation needs healing. We give you all the thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me if you would. Well, it's great to say that. And not just say goodbye to you online. Great to, great to be able to say that. So let me just for a moment. I, I want to I talk about two things real quick. And I've, actually, I'm, I'm really, imp I've impressed myself that I've done this as fast as I have. So I am, I'm patting myself on the back this morning. I'm, I'm just, I'm doing it. Okay, you don't, no, no, don't, please don't. <laughs> I just, I honestly didn't think I'd get through it as quickly as I did. I'm grateful for that. Thank you for being such a, a wonderful, wonderful, 
group of folks this morning. You're always that way. But a couple of things. The first question is, do you know Jesus? I, I, can't, I can't ask a question more profound than that. Do you know him? Is he Lord? Is he Savior and is he Lord? You see, many years ago I came to that point where I made that decision to follow Jesus. Give him my life. But more than just giving my life and asking to forgive me of sin, which all of us have committed sin, and not, none of us are free of that, but to be forgiven. But Lord, take charge. Direct me from now on and forever. If, if you have not made that declaration of faith, I want to encourage you to do that in a moment. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. A general prayer, yes, but I'm going to ask you to pray that prayer and then let us know if you prayed it online. I'm going to ask you to do the same. But I do want to have a... I want you to get honest and real with me for a minute, okay? And I'm going to ask you to keep your heads up, eyes open, because I think it's something that we just need to publicly state. Here it is. You say, oh, no. What's he going to do? Here it is. How many would honestly say you have some anxiety about the days that are ahead of us? Just let's be honest. You know, virtually everybody in the room, there's anxiety. So much of that, I, I think, let me say this way. Some of that I think is natural. Okay, I do that. I do. But some of it has been fueled by so many voices. And they're creating an atmosphere of fear in us as the people of God that shouldn't be there. Okay? Perfect love drives away fear. That perfect love is revealed in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said this way, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That's what I pray for you today. So if you would, that little bit of anxiety that's there, just kind of get that hand up in the air just a little bit. It's just not for me. This is, this is for you. You're just recognizing this to God, and I'm going to pray. So Lord, you see hands all around the room. And those online this morning that are joining us, there's, I know there's anxiety in our lives. We've, we've just admitted it. But Lord, we're going to be obedient to your word. We're not going to be anxious any longer. But with thanksgiving, we're going to present this to you. Thank you, Lord, that you hear us when we pray. No more fear. No more anxious moments. Lord, and I pray that the peace of God that transcends understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ. And maybe for that one, two, or a dozen, they're saying, I want to commit my life to Jesus. Lord, at this moment, a simple declaration, I believe, Jesus, you are Savior and Lord, and I give you my life. I'm yours, and I believe that you are alive and you have forgiven me, that you will lead me from this moment forward. Declare that this morning if that's you, and know that Jesus hears you and responds. I thank you, Lord, for this topic 
we can wrestle and pray over and study. Thank you for it. And help us, oh God, to filter all that we are and do and say through our filter of faith, never anything else. We thank you. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name.